0: Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of The Porch Church. We hope today's message blesses you and encourages you in your spiritual journey. If you have questions, visit us on the web, www.theporchchurch.tv. So I didn't ruin Endgame right off the bat for you. That was on TV, okay? That was public knowledge. I haven't ruined it for you yet. Spoiler alert, though, if you haven't seen it yet, i probably will at some point. I'll try to give you a disclaimer, but we are uh, launching a brand new series today called At The Movies, hence the popcorn and the movie trailer, and uh, really what we're going to be talking about in this series is stories, because meaning, what's true, has always been conveyed throughout human civilization by stories. Whether it's sitting around a campfire and telling tall tales, legends of old, whether it's books and novels whereby we pass along stories, Jesus even uses parables. Stories have always been a powerful way to connect with what's true in the world around us. And of course, today, stories happen in movies, epic events like the clip that we just saw that literally tilt our society and they give us a shared language and experience, right? And I can prove it to you, rather than me doing terrible impersonations, uh, I'm going to see if you can follow along with this, right? So say the phrase that comes to mind as you see this picture. Let's throw the first one up. Your Arnold sounds amazing this morning, right? Terminator, okay, what else do we got up there? Yeah, nerds unite, way to go, proud of you. How about this one? killing me smalls right movies these stories they form a collective language for us we can share moments and stories through this it's part of even the the meme culture that we have to be able to communicate in these phrases these stories these pictures that carry way more meaning than they do if they were just isolated on their own so for the next 4 weeks we're going to be going to the movies and no we're not just going to hit play on a movie instead of talking about Jesus We're going to connect and relate what we're seeing and experiencing on the screens to our lives and ultimately our faith, to see where our beliefs are on the screen right in front of us, but we may not actually realize it. And so today, of course, we're starting with one of the most epic movies ever created, uh, $356 million to make, one of the largest movie budgets of all times, 21 movies building up to the The cinematic event, character development, creating an entire universe around it. This was the phenomenon known as Avengers Endgame. And so here's your disclaimer. If you've been living under a rock or if you're hoping to see the movie, there are some spoilers ahead. So maybe you want to go to the restroom, refill your popcorn, do something like that. Uh, But who wants to see me summarize the largest cinematic event in history in 30 seconds or less? Here we go. Are you ready? The Avengers are a group of superheroes. You saw some of them on the screen ahead of us. When they come together, they stop the villain who's known as Thanos. Thanos is out to destroy half the universe in an event called the Snap. The Snap is so-called because he snaps his fingers and boom, 50% of life fades away. You saw that a little bit in the video. That's the end of the Infinity Wars. The Endgame is the second part of a two-part movie series, and there's one year in real time between when Infinity Wars ends and when Endgame picks up, which in the cinematic universe is only seconds. And so we are left as an audience, as a people, as a society going, can the Avengers somehow save the day? Is 50% of the universe really gone? What's going to happen? Because in movies and in comics books, right, we can agree that the rules are a little bit easier to bend, right? But I'm Thankful that in the endgame, they didn't just fix everything. They actually moved forward with the reality that they couldn't undo what just happened. And the start of Avengers Endgame, you may remember, portrays kind of society having moved on after the snap, having gone forward with a universe-altering proposition, which is the central question that I want us to talk about today. What do you do when life as you know it ceases to exist. It's probably not going to be in the dramatic way that we see in the movies, right? 50% of the universe being wiped out. But when life changes, when you lose a loved one, when tragedy strikes, we may not experience what the Avengers do, but we all experience these losses that derail us. It may feel like your entire world or at least the world of your family, but at some point we know that life changes for us and we're left to cope, to deal with, to figure out how to live in the aftermath. So what does it look like to keep going after everything changes? How do we deal with these world-altering types of events and scenarios? If we follow through some of the characters in the endgame, we see a variety of coping mechanisms, right? There's Black Widow who she can't relax. She has to take control and try to fix whatever's been wrong. Maybe you would term that a workaholic. Sometimes when life transforms, when life changes, we bury our heads and try to just keep going. The character of Hawkeye is so brokenhearted by the loss that he experiences is that he tries to take revenge on people who are still doing wrong in the world. It's as if to say, if things can't be, if I can't fix what's wrong, I'm at least going to make it something right that can never be put right again. Captain America does some grief counseling, right? He works on redefining normal with the people that are left. How do we move forward? Thor, of course, becomes... Fat Thor, right? He loses his identity in the grieving process, which again is a coping mechanism. We lose ourselves by not taking care of ourselves, by doing what feels good and losing ourselves in those places, right? Iron Man, he disengages completely, preserving the life that he's found and the family that he still has. The reason why I think Endgame is such a powerful story for us is because we can see ourselves in some of these different characters. Instead of being super superheroes who are immune to everything, we get to see that they're actually human, that they're actually like us, that they have things that they can't just fix and that they're left to deal with the reality of how does life go on after everything changes? How does life go on when things aren't the same? And it's in these moments of despair and of soul-crushing reality that I believe our faith as Christians shines brightest. Because tragedy and loss are inevitable, but who we are in the midst of those experiences and who our faith allows us to become as we cope is what makes our beliefs true and real. So for our conversation today, I'd like to encourage you to open up to First Thessalonians chapter 4. We're continuing our obscure looks at the Bible. First uh, Thessalonians is not in the minor prophets like our last series, but it's in the smaller pastoral letters of the New Testament. I'll give you time to turn there. If you would like to borrow a Bible from us, you can slip your hand up. Our ushers would love to bring you a Bible. It's on page 555. Not making that up. You can test me. Uh, if you want to use one of the worship center Bibles. Of course, if you don't own a Bible, just keep this. It's our gift to you, but I want us to explore how the early church dealt with some of these ideas behind loss and grief. How do they move forward? What examples do they give to us? While you're turning there or opening your smartphone to follow along, 1 Thessalonians is written by Paul to the people of Thessalonica. That's the name of the town. He spent a short time there, but depending on how you date the early letters of Paul, this is one of the first letters of, of the New Testament that was written as far as chronology Is concerned Probably about 51 AD, Galatians may have been written before this, uh, but ultimately 1 Thessalonians appears as a really early book. In other words, this is less than 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection and ministry, which is important, and we'll get to that here in a bit. But that's the backdrop of this letter, is that this is newly formed, new theology. Paul is still going around, starting churches, and he writes back to a place where he visited, to give them some encouragement, to give them some ways to process through grief and loss as the world portrays it to them. Let's jump in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 13. It says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's Word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep Paul is responding to the obvious kind of implicit question is that people have died, that they've fallen asleep is the word. We'll get to that here in just a second. And so Paul writes a a note of encouragement to tell them a little bit of the reality that they can expect. Here's how you move forward and process within grief. And while you may or may not currently be grieving, needless to say, life changes at many points along the way. So how do we go into those situations with our faith at the forefront? And instead of it being a crisis, of our faith, but can actually be a catalyst for our faith to grow. A couple key points for us today. Number one is this, when life isn't the same, you still have hope. When life isn't the same, when things change, when loss occurs, when grief occurs, you still have hope. This is in verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope a couple key points in that short scripture this idea of sleep in death is a is a common metaphor it's a common story within the New Testament in part because they believed that Jesus would return soon in other words, they thought Jesus would return like Today, maybe tomorrow, right? Like Jesus is coming back imminently. It's soon, certainly before the end of our lives. This is evident in John's gospel, chapter 21. Jesus, after he's resurrected, has a conversation. If Jesus says, what difference is it to you if he remains alive? Then there must be a scenario whereby that particular disciple stays alive until Jesus comes back. And if John is older than I am, then certainly Christ is going to come back in my lifetime because that's kind of how math works. And so this was a very, very real practical idea for them that death was not the end. And probably not in the same way that we think about it, they probably thought about it eminently. Like it's not even worth saying goodbye to that person because we're going to see them next week. We're going to see them in a very short amount of time. So whenever you're reading Scripture and you see this phrase or you see this idea about followers of Christ being asleep in their death, you should immediately think two things. Number one, you can recognize the obvious truth, right, that they've passed on, right? They've died. This is what's true about the statement. But the second statement is that this also indicated a belief that Jesus was coming back soon to make things right right? It was going to be very, very quick. There was a timeline on it, almost like the timeline between the end of Infinity Wars and the start of Endgame, right? You know they're going to make it right because two and a half billion dollars depend on them making it right, so you know it's going to happen, right? There's a second thing in this verse, right, that you don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. I think too often this verse gets misquoted and all we hear is the do not grieve piece of it. And so we think that part of our faith, part of what it means to be a Christ follower is not to walk into those feelings of grief and loss. We put up a stiff upper lip, we push through the grief, and we try to make our faith stronger by refusing to acknowledge the loss that's present. That if we were really good Christians, if we were really good Christ followers, then we wouldn't be sad when someone passes away. We'd be happy knowing that they're with Jesus, that they're just sleeping until Christ Returns right? I, had a, I had a friend whose parents would tell him whenever they saw roadkill on the side of the road that the animal was just sleeping because as a kid he was so traumatized by the thought of a dead animal lying on the side of the road. So what did they do? They spared him the grief by lying to him. Parents, we've all been there, no judging, right? But the point is simply this, sometimes we avoid the feelings and emotions associated with loss, whether it's death or loss in a season or a loss of a friendship, rather than feel the feelings that are actually present. We think that uh, the response of our faith, that a good Christian person simply brushes over the grief associated with loss and death. We justify that they're in a better place, that they're happy, and all we're doing is failing to process our own grief in the situation, which is not at all what the verse says. Life lived on the other side of a tragedy is different than simply escaping the pain. It's not simply about moving on and beyond it, it's about walking through it and letting our faith encourage us in the midst of the journey. And the point of this scripture is that grieving is part of the process. He leaves it in to say, this is important. It's not that we should not grieve, but it's that your grief should be tethered to another emotion. It should be tethered to a hope and a future. Have you ever been to a funeral for someone who was a who was absolutely vocal about not believing in anything after death. You ever been in a place where you're with a group of people who are celebrating someone who's moved on, but everyone in the room knows, whether it's spoken or unspoken, that this person doesn't believe that there's life after death. They didn't believe in God, they didn't trust God, whatever you want to put in there. There's not an abundance of hope In those situations, especially as believers, so much so that it's more fashionable now to just say, well, we're just going to celebrate their life rather than having to deal with the loss, rather than having to mourn in our grief, we're just going to celebrate the life that they did have. And let me tell you, without that abundance of hope, without a place to place ourselves, without an anchor that pulls us out of our grief and despair, life can get pretty dismal in those seasons. This is why Paul instructs the Thessalonians that you should grieve, you shouldn't just move past it, you should wrestle and you should fight and you should be angry and sad and emotional, that you should learn to live life on a new normal, not simply brush over it. But the key statement here is that as believers, as Christ followers, our mourning, our grieving, our processing is not without hope. Is not without a breath of fresh air. And while there is sadness and loss, there is also a hope and a promise of a new future. Part of what makes these experiences so traumatic is that they cause us to reflect inwardly. When we lose someone, when we process through grief and loss, it holds up a mirror to our own souls going, I wonder what does happen at the end. Not only for their decision, but for my decision as, well, is there something more than what we experience? What are the implications of that for me, for my family, for my friends, for the person who is perhaps literally in the coffin? If not actual death, then whenever life changes because life moves on or we move or friends move, we still evaluate whether or not what we believe to be true is actually true. Can we trust in those relationships? Can we trust that there is a God on the throne when tragedy strikes? If he is, is he good? Does he care at all? Then why do bad things happen? And all of these real and true questions have a place in the journey of our faith, and too often we don't fully walk into them. We settle for easy, trite answers, for something that rhymes that I can make a point with on a Sunday morning, for trite, colloquial isms that carry enough truth for us that we know that we should believe them, but we don't take the actual step to recognize whether or not they're true for us and whether we believe them. We don't take the trip to actually experience them. Is there a better place? Really? Why isn't here with me good enough? God won't give you more than you can handle. Yeah, well, it sure feels like it at this moment in time, right? God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, but what about in El Paso? What about in Dayton? What about in the hundreds of other tragedies that we can list from this year alone? All I'm here to tell you is that faith is found in these journeys of loss and in honestly expressing our feelings and our experience and seeking out the truth of Scripture and the reality of our beliefs in God. Because here's the truth, if our faith can't stand up to our real life experiences, then it isn't a faith worth having. If your faith is buffeted through real life situations and circumstances, then your faith isn't going to stand up to the ultimate questions of life. It's why so many people don't follow a belief in a God like we do because they found it lacking when they come to these moments in life. And I don't believe it's because faith is lacking. I believe it's because we've provided them an insufficient path to arrive at those places. All of that to say this, when life changes, don't take the easy way out. When life changes, when there's loss, when there's grief, when there's tragedy, go in deep. Be honest with your feelings and see if God is actually present there. Because when you grieve, you can still find hope on the other side. And if you can't, then you might as well stop lying about it, stop faking it, and stop telling other people how great it is to believe the way that you believe and perhaps go on a journey to discover it yourself. When everything changes, hope is still there because God is still God and his word is still true. But we have to go on the journey of our faith to get there and to discover it because in the midst of life seasons, God still has work for us to do. Let's go back to our scripture, verse 14. Here's how Paul orients that hope that we have. For we believe that Jesus died and he rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Number two, when life isn't the same, you still have eternity. When life isn't the same, not only do you have hope for here and now, you also have the hope of a present and coming future that is eternity spent with the Lord. The entirety of Jesus' teaching and example is founded on this idea of resurrection. That we have a Savior who is the firstborn of creation and the firstborn of the resurrection, that He's the example that we have. So no matter what we're experiencing, it's nothing compared to what we have in Christ. Paul breaks it down this way in Romans 8 He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able. To to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death doesn't separate us from the love that God displayed for us in Jesus. And nothing in this life that we encounter separates us either. Nothing in the spiritual realm, nothing in the natural realm, in time or space comes between the reality of God's love for us. So when life throws you a curveball, when everything gets messed up, when the job transfer happens, when the pink slip comes, when a loved one passes away or a friend leaves, nothing changes the reality of who God is and that he is fundamentally for you. When tragedy strikes and loss happens and it's incredibly disorienting, up and down feel reversed. What's normal is now strangely abnormal and everything familiar is now permeated with what used to be loss and tragedy are seeds for our journey of faith. They allow us to discover new ways to trust God in the midst of losing everything else and to find a way forward, not just here and now, but to find something worth believing in forever that will never let us down. This is why Paul redirects our attention in this passage. He says, don't avoid grief and loss. He says, do that, pay attention to them. Just remember that that grief and loss is structured in a much larger narrative, in a much larger story, in the vernacular of Endgame and the movies, right? But the story doesn't end in the grief and the loss. There's a hope and a future that's coming. You are created for more than what you're experiencing at this moment in time and at the place of loss. Let's keep reading our scripture, verse 15. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord, we will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Here's the reality. No matter how bad things get, there is still good news. No matter how bad life seems, no matter how heavy it seems, no matter how many things seem to come against you, time and time again, there is still good news. Jesus still died for you. The resurrection is still our future. If you're alive, you're going to fly, and I'm not going to sing the song, but that's exciting, right? there are good news ahead. You get to be with Jesus forever, and that's the good news. And here's the reality. Too often we let that stay on the surface, that that's just the Christian thing that we ought to say in hard situations. To be able to move through that grief process, we just say, well, we have Jesus, we have our faith, we have all of those things. What I'm telling you is that when it comes to those situations, you have to dig down deep to answer the question, if Jesus is all you have, is that actually enough or not because grief strips away everything else it leaves our emotions raw and bare and we then have to answer the question if all that i have is jesus forever is that enough for me the answer to that question may determine the strength of your faith may determine the priority of your faith the reality of what you believe in because the truth is that we're not promised anything outside of that We're not promised an easy life. We're not promised a shielded life. We're not promised that anything will be easier because we follow Jesus. We're just promised that we'll have him, that we'll have him forever, that we'll spend eternity in the place where our souls were created to be. And at the end of it all, the question for us is, so is that enough? Ultimately, does our life and our faith and our practices of here and now hinge on the reality that Jesus is with us? us. Paul ends trying to be encouraging. He says, therefore, encourage each other with these words. Because if your life is found in more than just here and now, we have people that connect us with the eternal things of God. So when tragedy strikes, we don't lose our hope. This is why, hopefully, you come to church on a regular basis. It's why we join small groups to connect with people so that when life happens, we find ourselves in a community with people who can anchor us forward in the truth and remind us that our life is hidden with Christ. So when life happens, when everything changes, when loss occurs and grief and sadness become the new normal, don't brush it under the rug. Walk into it, but bring your faith with you. Mourn, but not like someone without hope. Find the hope in the midst of the hurt. Discover the light that shines in the dark and find life that persists even in death. I'm gonna invite Malia to come up. She's gonna play for us because I wanna have a little bit of a serious conversation and I'm gonna use a pun to get there. Um, What's your end game? See what I did there? (laughs) Y'all with me this morning? Here's the deal, right, when we talk about these things of loss and grief, and and part of why Avengers hit at least me so hard is because when we see these things displayed for us, it forces us to ask the questions. What do we do at the end of it? Where is our faith? Not just when we experience loss on the outside, but when it's actually us? Where does our faith actually line up? It's easy to come together in a church and to say that we should grieve but not like those without hope but maybe you're in a season of grief or you're not sure you have hope. Maybe as you survey the end of things, you're going, I'm not entirely sure that this is a hopeful story for me. I'm not entirely sure that the good news fits in this reality in my place of life. I'm not sure that I have that trust in Jesus forever and Jesus only. And you may just need to process through that question today. And I want to give you the space to do that. The central message of Jesus is that we were created to spend eternity forever with him, but that our choices separated us from the life that God created for us. And so Jesus, in his death and resurrection on the cross, made a way back for us to be reunited with God as was originally intended. But the reality is that no one is forced to do that. He allows us free will to choose how we live our life and ultimately how we spend eternity. But because of Jesus, we do have a choice. And to trust in Jesus is our way back to God, to believe that his death paid the price for our wrongs and to ask him to restore us to our original intent to be with God forever. So, I just want to create a moment here. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads if we could dim the lights just a little bit. I want to give you a space to not just listen to my voice, but to go before your Creator to perhaps ask some questions that you've been avoiding. Maybe you've done this, but it's been a long time and you just need to check in, like you need to check in in your relationship. Jesus, are you still there for me? Are you still with me in the midst of whatever has happened since you had that conversation? maybe you've never had that conversation, or maybe you've never heard it as clearly as you're hearing it right now, then I want to encourage you just into a simple words here, but this is just a guided conversation between you and God on these very things that we reference. My point isn't to make this awkward or weird. My point is that we would all have a shared hope for the future so that when life goes crazy, when everything lets you down, You know that there's a God who loves you, who is for you, and who wants to spend eternity with you. So with your eyes bowed, heads bowed, eyes closed, examine your plan. What will you do when it's all said and done? Will you have hope or will your hope be anchored?